1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to read really only one verse, and I think um, we're going to dwell in that verse this week and next week. So let me open my uh, electric, uh, electronic version of my Bible, 1 Corinthians 1.25, 1 Corinthians 1.25. But let's read from verse 18, so this way we just can have um, an idea about the background of that verse. But once again, we're going to be only at verse 25 um, this week and next week. So 1 Corinthians 1, 18. All right. Um, if you have your blue Bibles in the pew, it's going to be page 1772, 17. Um, 1772 in the Bible pews. 1 Corinthians 1, um, chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross, this is what Paul was saying. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. This is the NIV. Where is the wise man, Paul say? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And then he said in verse 22, Jews, the Jews demand miracles or power, miraculous signs, and the Greek look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified as stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles or the Greek and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man, man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Amen? So we're going to stop at verse 25 today. The foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. What we're going to do is, this week we're going to stop only at the first phrase. The foolishness of God is um, wiser than men. And next week, we're going to start talk about the weakness of God is stronger than men. Okay? If you have your uh, iPad, iPod, iPhone, whatever smartphone you have, access to the Internet, all the notes are going to be available on our website. Go to our website, then sermons, click on the name of the sermon, and then you can download the notes. Okay? I'm sorry, sweetie. All right, so in order for us to understand what Paul was talking about here in verse 25, when he said, the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man, we'll back up again to verse 18. We'll go over it phrase by phrase. So this way we'll understand the context, and then we'll just spend some time talking about that phrase, the foolishness of God is wiser than man. All right? So here's what he says in verse 18. For the message of the cross... Paul is saying, when we preach the cross, when we tell people about the cross of Jesus, people perceive that as foolishness, okay? To those who are perishing, to those who don't know the truth, for them to hear the word cross and God 
salvation that he performed on the cross, this is just pure stupidity from their perspective. But to us who know what that means, it is the power of God. And then Paul, I think, quoted a scripture from Isaiah 29. And then he said, God promised, even in the Old Testament, that he will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the, intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate, says God. So once again, Paul is still talking about the cross and what it means and how it's being perceived by people. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Why is Paul saying that? Because Paul is saying that man in his wisdom is not understanding the cross and what the cross is all about. They look at the cross and think it's foolishness. So Paul is saying, where is the wisdom of man? How come the wisdom of man is not understanding the wisdom of God or the cross of Jesus Christ? And then he said, has not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? What does that mean? God, when he performed salvation for us on the cross of Jesus, and when man in his wisdom cannot understand that and think this is foolishness, by doing that, God made the wisdom of man seems to be folly. Okay? And then he said, for since... For since in the wisdom of God, listen to this, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, what Paul is saying here is this, because man in his wisdom could not connect with God in his wisdom, okay? God's wisdom, that's the cross, because God's performed salvation there on the cross. But he's saying man in his wisdom, in his thinking, could not connect with God. God's wisdom, which is the cross. So for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased that through the foolishness of what was preached, that is the message of the cross, God was pleased to what appeared from man's side to be foolishness, that through that appearance of foolishness of the message of the cross, God will save some. Then verse 22. The Jews demand signs or miracles or power, but the Greek look for wisdom. This is just, he's saying, here's how the world looks like nowadays. The Jews look for signs in order to recognize God, and the Greek looks for wisdom in order to recognize God. What is Paul is saying here? We know the story of Israel from the very inception of that nation and their deliverance and out of the land of Egypt, they experienced the power of God, okay? When Moses got them out of the land of Egypt, he struck Egypt 10 times with 10 different plagues. Then he split the Red Sea. Then he provided for them throughout wilderness. And time over and over and over again, Israel as a nation experienced the power of God in so many miracles, okay? So the Jews connect God with power. Okay, anything that has power in it, that's probably God. Anything that has weakness in it is probably not God. Okay, on the flip side of that, the Greeks, these are the philosophers, the scholars, the intellectual people, they knew God through wisdom. If it makes sense, if it's logical, then it's probably associated with God. And if it's foolish and dumb, it's probably not associated with God. Okay. So he's saying the Jews look for miracles, for power, the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
And because the message of the cross, the message of the gospel is centered only about the cross of Jesus. When we preach that message, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it is foolishness to the Greek. Why? Because when you look at the cross, you see somebody who's weak, right? Who, who can look at somebody being crucified and assume this is power? This, there is no power, apparent power in the cross, correct? So the Jews look at Jesus crucified and say, this cannot be God. God is all powerful. We have seen his miracles. And this seems to be weakness. So for the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. And then on the flip side of that, to the Greek, the wise people, when you tell them, hey, God who never dies actually became man, and then he died on the cross, and then God rose again from the dead, for them, this message is just so dumb, foolish. That doesn't make any sense that God come down to earth to become man, to die on the cross when he doesn't have to, and God who never dies, God who never dies, died for us. That doesn't make any sense to the Greek either. So for them, they look at the cross and say, this is foolishness. We cannot associate this with God. But to us who are being saved, us, that the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to understand the cross. He said, this is for us the wisdom of God and the power of God. In the cross, we see the manifestation of both God's wisdom and his power. And then he concluded with verse 25. I'm just driving us to that verse to know what Paul was talking about. He said, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man. What Paul is saying in that phrase is this. What appeared to be foolishness from our perspective, what appeared to be foolishness of God, God has actually proven that this apparent foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. And what appeared to be God's weakness, that's still the cross, Christ crucified. Actually, God has shown that this apparent weakness is stronger than old man's strength. Okay? So this is paraphrasing, just going through that passage, trying to break it down, know exactly what Paul is talking about, okay? So once again, this week we're going to stop at the first phrase. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Amen? So here is the layout of the sermon. I need your brains with me today, okay? So if you didn't have coffee, go grab some and come back, okay? All right. Um, here is how we're going to proceed forward. The end, after we finish, 20 minutes, whatever, 25 minutes from now or something, our goal is to prove that statement to be true. We want to show precisely and strongly that truly what appeared to be foolishness on God's side, and that's the cross, is truly wiser than man. So this is what we want to get out with when we leave the doors of the church. We need to know this to be fact, okay? So in order for us to achieve that, here is how we're going to prove it, okay? We're going to talk about the problem of sin, because truly, that's the only problem between God who is holy and man who is sinful, okay? So we're going to talk about that problem. We're going to talk about the dimension of that problem and the aspect of that problem. And then we're going to examine man's solution in his very wisdom, the best solution that mankind could come up with, okay? And then we're going to examine God's solution the solution that God came up with. And now, if God's 
what appeared to be foolishness of his side was able to solve what man in his wisdom could not solve, then we can truly conclude that the foolishness of God is wiser than man. You lost me already? You lost me already? Go over it again? Okay. It's like this. We're going to have a problem. And we're going to try to see who can solve that problem. Man's wisdom or God's foolishness, which is Christ crucified. Okay? If we can see that God in his apparent foolishness, and that's the cross of Jesus, was able to solve the problem, and man in his very wisdom was not able to solve the problem, then we can truly understand and say that the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Are we good? Should I go over it again? Okay, so you know how the sermon is going to go. So let's discuss the problem first. Let's discuss the dimension of the problem that man and God has together. The one big problem, sin. We know all what sin is, right? When God says, don't lie, you lie. When God says, don't steal, you steal. Something like that. Breaking the law of God, missing the mark. Now, sin, as far as its complication between us and God, actually has three dimensions, okay? Sin is not just simply breaking the law of God, and it is. But it has far more complication than that. So we'll talk about that for a little bit, okay? Sin has three different dimensions or three different complications in our relationship with God. Number one, sin is breaking the law of God, okay? So the number one problem is the wages of sin, the price that we get for sinning against God. Number two, the second aspect of sin's problem is the nature of sin, okay? And the third aspect of the problem of sin is the bondage of sin. Sin has three different aspects. Number one is the wages of sin. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is the nature of sin. Okay? And the third aspect is the yoke or the bondage of sin. The wages, the nature, and the yoke or the bondage of sin. Let's talk about the first, um, first problem, the first aspect, which is the wages of sin. God is holy and righteous, okay? And he does not accept or tolerate or accommodate sin in any way or shape or form. And when we sin against God, we're actually breaking his law. And when we break the law of God, that puts us automatically under the judgment of God. Does that make sense? Simple. If the law says you drive here in Beulah Street, 35 miles an hour, this is the maximum speed limit, you get driving 45, 55 miles an hour, you are breaking the law. Just as simple as that. And how many times you need to break the law to be guilty before the law? Just one time. You don't need to be a habitual fast driver. If you got caught once breaking the law, you are breaking the law, okay? Same thing when it comes to God. God has given us his commandments. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, and all these commandments. If you just break it once, you are guilty before the law. And that's why the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. The penalty of breaking the law of God is to be separated from God for all eternity. Okay? Just like when you're driving 55 and 35, you have to pay a fine. Or here in Virginia, go to jail. Okay? So this is the number one problem. When you break the law of God, you're under the judgment of God. And you don't have to break every single one of God's laws. Only one. If you break one of God's laws, you're already under the judgment of God. Isn't that bad news, right? Because we're all under the judgment of God, correct? So that's the first aspect of sin. 
The second aspect of the problem of sin, sin is not just breaking the law of God. Sin is also our nature. Okay? We sin because we are sinners. It's kind of like a bad fountain of water that keep on producing bad water. The problem is not the symptom. The problem is that the core, the, the, the actual will itself that keep producing bad water, you know? And it's the same thing with us. Our hearts are wicked. Our nature is sinful. And that's why we keep on lying. That's why we keep on stealing. That's why we keep on cheating. Even though we know we shouldn't, but we keep on doing it because our nature is wicked and sinful. Amen? Let's read that scripture from Romans chapter um, 7, 20 to 23. Listen to what Paul was saying. Here's what Paul says, Romans 7, 20 to 23. Now, if I do what I will not to do, which, what, if I do what I don't have the will to do, that is sin, Paul is saying, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So Paul is saying, when I go out and sin against God, I have every intention not to do it. I really don't want to lie. I don't want to steal. I don't want to manipulate. But the reason I keep on doing this because I have a sinful nature inside of me that is forcing me to do this. But sin that dwells in me. And then he says, I find then a law. And then he stops and tells us what is that law. The evil that is present in me. Okay, the one, me, and then he says, I am the one who wills to do good. So Paul is saying is, it's kind of like, you know, bipolar, kind of like two people, two personalities. This is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, there is I, and there is the law that wills in me, the nature that dwells in me. I want to do good. I want to please God. I want to do the right thing. That's I. The problem with I is there is another person in me, another nature in me, that is called sin. So even though I am trying to do the right thing, I can't because that sin nature in me is keep forcing me to do what is not right and disobey God. Verse 22, for I, remember, one person called I, the other person called sin. Okay, so I, the person who is called I, delight in the law of God according to my inward man. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. And not only that, but it's also bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying there is two people fighting in me. One is called I that is willing to obey God, but there is another person in me that is warring against I and always bringing I into the captivity of sin and doing what I doesn't want to do, which is to obey God. Good? So sin is a nature. This is our nature. We're born with that falling nature, and it's a massive problem that we're going to keep struggling with, our sinful falling nature, Okay? So sin is breaking the law, the wages of sin, that's one aspect. Number two, the nature of sin. And number three, the yoke or the bondage of sin. So sin is not just breaking the law of God that puts us under his judgment. Sin is not just our nature, that's why we keep on sinning. But sin is also a bondage. Listen to this, Titus 3.3. We're just going to highlight one verse. There was a time when we... 
When we too were ignorant, this is what Paul is saying. There was time in the past when we also were ignorant. Listen to this. Disobedient and misled. Okay? And listen to the wording. And enslaved. Listen. Enslaved by different passions and dispensation. We lived then in wickedness and malice, hating each other and hateful ourselves. That's Titus 3.3. So Paul was saying that we were enslaved to sin. We were bound by sin. Sin was our cruel master and is, was forcing us every single day to do what sin wants. And we could not do a thing about it because we were slaves to our passions and our desires and our sins. Amen? Do we understand now the complication of the problem that mankind and God had in common? Which is sin. Let's repeat together the three aspects of that problem. Making sure we're all on the same page, okay? Wages. Number one, the aspect is the wages of sin. It puts us under the judgment of God. Number two aspect of that problem is Amen. the nature of sin. We have a sinful nature, therefore we keep on sinning. And number three aspect is the bondage of sin. Even if you want to be free, you can't because it's your master. Amen? So that's the problem. Now let's move to point number two. What is man's solution to that problem? So Paul said, hey, get the scholar, get the debater, get the one who's wise, and get them together and have them to discuss and figure out what can possibly be the solution that man can find to solve that problem of sin. And they did. And guess what they came up with? Their man's solution to the problem of sin is do good. Do your very best. This is man's solution, okay? Try to be as decent of a person as you possibly can be, all right? Good. Let's examine that solution. Okay. Let's go back over these three aspects of sin and see if being a good person can actually solve that problem. Okay. Let's start with point number one. The wages of sin. Is being a good person will help you to get out of the penalty of sin? Of course not. Not at all. When you stand before the judge here on earth, I use that analogy every time. When you stand before the judge here on earth and you got caught 55 and 35, guess what? The judge is not going to look all over, make an overall evaluation for your personality and see how good of a father or how good of a person you are. All what the judge cares about is one thing. You were 55 and 35. At this point, nothing matters except one thing. The law is broken. The law needs to be paid. Does that make sense? You cannot try to buy your way out. The only way the judge will let you go out is if he's a corrupt judge. If he's not going to uphold the letter of the law. But if this is a good judge, a just judge, then he has to have you pay the penalty of whatever law you have broken. Correct? It's the same thing with God. The problem is we're already guilty. It's not like we can now try to figure out if we can possibly sin in the future or not. The problem is we already sinned. We already broken the law. And there is nothing we can do about it. We're already guilty. The verdict is out. And all what we have to do now is the punishment that is waiting for us. Does that make sense? Right? Good deeds does not solve the problem of the wages of sin. The only way, the only way that this problem can be solved is that the wages need to be paid first. The penalty needs to be paid. The law needs to be satisfied. And then whatever happens after that can happen. All right? Are we good so far? So man's solution, being a good person, doesn't solve the problem of the wages of sin. All right? 
is doing good deeds or being a good person can solve the problem of the nature of sin. Good luck with that. I mean, we just read that verse about I and sin, right? I is willing. I want to do good as much as I want, as much as I possibly can. The problem is I has another nature in him. And this nature is so warring and captivating that I cannot do what I really want to do because I have that falling nature that keep on producing bad results and bad works. Does that make sense? Trying to be good, trying to do good deeds will never solve the problem of the nature of sin that we already have. Okay? Any objections so far? We're good. All right. Number three. Is doing good deeds take care of the problem of the yoke of sin? Easy. Ask an alcoholic. Or ask a drug addict. Or ask somebody who doing porn. Or whatever the case is of bondage. And let's say they go to church on Sunday morning and they pay their tithe faithfully. And then ask them, hey, did paying the tithe help you not to look at porn when you went back home? Nope. How about quitting alcohol? Did being a good person or doing a good deed throughout the day help you not to grab a bottle on the way home so you can keep on drinking? Nope. So good deeds does not solve the problem of the bondage of sin. So man in his wisdom... The very best solution that man can come up with to solve the problem of sin failed in every single aspect that sin could ever have. Do you agree with me so far? Man in his wisdom failed to solve the problem of wages of sin. Good deeds will never get you there. Good deeds will never, ever try to make you get rid of the nature of sin. And good deeds will surely never make you be free from the bondage of sin. All right? So man in his wisdom failed. Could not solve the problem. Good so far? Now let's examine God's solution. God, what's your solution to that? And God said, the cross. This will be my solution to the problem of sin. Well, God, but this is too foolish. This is too dumb. We cannot even accept that, that being even associated with you. Well, let's see. The apparent foolishness from God's side which is the cross of Jesus, and Jesus crucified, was able to solve the three aspects of the problem of sin. Amen? Let's start with number one, the wages of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, was he able to solve that problem? You bet he did. Amen? On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. That's actually a commercial term. It means that debt is paid in full. I have done it. I have paid the price that this human race is owing a holy and righteous God. I have took upon myself the very wrath, the very judgment that they have occurred because I am a good God and I'm able to pay off their debt. Amen? Go back to that judge analogy. You're 55 and 35. You got caught speeding. You cannot afford the fine. I come in as your friend and I pay off your debt. Amen? And when I pay off your debt, now the law is satisfied. The justice is satisfied. The judge, the judge will not mind. The judge cares about one thing. The penalty needs to be paid. Who pays it? It's not a big deal to the judge, right? But the one thing that the judge cannot compromise is that the penalty must be paid. And if it's not going to be paid, you have nowhere to go. You're stuck under the judgment of the law. Amen? But Jesus on the cross paid the price for all our sins once and for all. Amen? I don't know about you. That gets me excited. Amen? 
Jesus died on the cross and he paid in full the price of our sins and has satisfied once and for all a holy and righteous God that we don't never have to deal with his justice anymore because the blood of Jesus is power enough to cover his judgment and his wrath. Amen? Amen. So the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus took care of the first aspect. Now how about the second aspect? The nature of sin. Oh well, let's look at it. Have you ever been in a car accident that they tell you that the car is total loss? It's just not fixable. You have to throw it away and get a new car. Any money you're going to put in that car, it's a waste because you're going to keep on investing and investing and investing and the end of the day is still not going to work, okay? All right? This is the exact same thing with our fallen nature. We are, it's so messed up. It is so wicked. There is nothing that needs to be Nothing can be done so it can be fixed. The only thing, the only thing that can be done to our fallen nature is this. You throw it away. You put it to death, get rid of it once and for all. Amen? It has to be done with because it's non-fixable. And guess what? When Jesus died on that cross, he took this very nature, our very sinful nature, and it was crucified with him, and he's done away with it once and for all that we don't have to deal with it anymore. Amen? Let's read that verse. Let's read from, um, let's see, um, Romans 6, 6 to 8. This is just fascinating. There's so many scripture relating to that, but let's just focus on that. Romans 6, 6 to 8. This is what Paul said. Knowing this, that our old man, that's our sinful, falling nature, was crucified with him, was crucified with Christ. That the body of sin, the problem that we're having, this very falling nature of sin, might be done away with. It's done. It was crucified with Christ on the cross. It's dead. We don't have to deal with it anymore. Listen to this. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. This old falling nature doesn't have to enslave us anymore. For he who died has been freed from sin. Because that old nature has been dead, has been crucified, then the nature and its effect has been done away with. We don't have to deal with that sin nature anymore. Now, if we died with Christ, that's our old nature, if that old wicked nature has been dead with Christ on the cross, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Amen? So when Jesus died on the cross... He also took the very old nature, and every time the nail was going through his hand, it's actually going through our old nature. And it was done with, dealt with at the cross. And every time that we think about the cross, we also should think that our nature has been crucified. Our old man has been crucified. We don't have to deal with that nature anymore. Amen? Three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. And because he's alive, he can give us the power to change. And this power can overcome any sinful nature that we might possibly have. Amen? That's why the Bible says, if anyone in Christ Jesus, he is a what? A new creation. What happened to the old one? It's crucified. It's done. It's over. You don't have to deal with it anymore. Amen? So God and his solution so far has been proven that he dealt with the two aspects of sin. Alright? He took care of the wages of sin. He took care of our nature of sin. Did God take care of the bondage of sin on the cross? You bet he did. Look at that scripture from Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. Hebrews 9 26. I'm going to read 
the last part of that verse. Listen to this. But now, once at the end of the ages, he, that's Jesus, has appeared. Why? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. When Jesus was crucified, he broke once and for all the power of sin. Sin has lost its grip over us because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Because of that very cross, sin can, doesn't have to be your master anymore. doesn't have to rule you anymore. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he put away with sin once and for all. Amen? So what appears to be foolishness from our perspective, that God, the cross is just so stupid, it's so foolish, we cannot even believe that this is you. God has shown us that what his apparent foolishness is far much wiser than man. Why? Because in what appears to be the foolishness of God, that's the cross of Jesus, God was able to solve the problem of sin, that man in all his wisdom could not solve that problem. Amen? Clear like mud? Okay. <laughs> the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Amen? The cross. The cross. The cross. In that cross, God displayed wisdom that man in all his knowledge and all his wisdom and all his logic will never be able to attain. In the cross, you can see the wisdom of God being manifested because God took care of the problem of sin all its aspects, once and for all, you don't have to deal with it anymore. Amen? All right. Let's all come before God and pray. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.